the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. It is a delight to show our dear friend Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete, thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm sorry we missed uh, you last week, but I'm sorry for the cause of why we missed you last week uh, with the loss of one of yeah. your colleagues, if you wanted to say a word about that, but also welcome Boy, back. I sure do Thank appreciate you. that, you Seth, and, and great to be back with thanks. you. Yeah, we did lose really one of America's great historians and one who uh, certainly in his most recent years was his most prolific in uh, Dr. Ted McAllister, who a uh, longtime faculty member here. We may have discussed before that we're in the midst of our 25th anniversary year here. And uh, Ted McAllister started in our second year. So 24 years here at the policy school, uh, a beloved faculty member by hundreds and hundreds of graduate policy students here, and one that um, was very influential in our lives in in thinking about why uh, engagement in public service, and particularly the importance of America's founding principles, and why we need to be thinking about applying them today is so uh, is so important. So, yeah, yeah great, great loss. I had and, met him. Uh, I had met him, mm. and uh, we were uh, at different times, uh, uh, of course. But he, if I'm not mistaken, was also a uh, fellow alumna of mine from the Claremont Graduate School. If I'm not mm, mistaken, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. For his master's, that's and then he right. went on for his PhD at yeah. Vanderbilt. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah, was taught at Hillsdale before yep. coming out. Yep. Here in the late '90s, and uh, just uh, gone too soon. Will be sorely yeah, missed. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, uh, our best thoughts and prayers uh, to his family and your community, Pete. And uh, thank you for putting in a kind word for a, a great scholar. Um, Thanks so much. You bet. A uh, little solemn here today. We'll lift it up. You're you, you're known for your lift, uh, but just to stay with the solemnity for a moment, I just got off the phone. The audience just got done listening to Brian Kennedy talking about this uh, balloon mm. situation, uh, uh, this Chinese balloon situation. I was thinking of you as you have been sounding the alarm of Chinese influence in uh, academia uh, uh, for many years now. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, obviously they have uh, now not only uh, intellectual influence here, but uh, clearly kinetic. And I was doing the kinetic with Brian. Uh, but he paints a very, very dour picture of uh, how intertwined China is in our ideological life here, if you want to say a word yeah, about that. I sure would. I mean, I, I think, I believe it was uh, Dr. Neil Ferguson up at mm-hmm. the Hoover Institution who first began framing this as Cold War II. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, certainly with events like this, um, one can take that way of of framing this relationship with China, if we want to call it that, uh, in those terms. 
Uh, I've also heard some increasingly uh, say that if we think this uh, surveillance balloon is bad, uh, then we need, we, we, you should really be concerned about TikTok. Yeah, right, right, right. right. So but, yeah. if we think a stationary, yeah. you know, balloon, which can cover, I don't know how many square miles in its, in its surveillance is, is a threat. Imagine the access to millions yeah. of Americans and their, uh, their daily lives as, as, uh, as tracked through their cell phones. Yeah. Um, that the TikTok as a platform um, and and China's use of it is is doing right now. So yeah, very very concerning. I said to Brian, I said I, I raised that as much as uh, when oh. I asked him about uh, any number of things we should be doing. I said, and should we be um, pursuing as some governors have been uh, the banning of TikTok? And he said yes. And if it were an American company, I'd ban it too. <laughs> he said there is nothing good about yeah. the yep. infant. infant uh, I think my phraseology, but don't want to put words in his mouth. But he was saying there is nothing good about what I called the infantilization of adults and the uh, ruining of the of the uh, children's brains, which is a topic you and I go to yes. quite a lot. Um, let me do this if I can with you, because you retweeted a really interesting. Th- Twitter thread uh, mm. from Zach Goldberg, who's uh, with the Manhattan Institute. Yeah. And the reason I thought it was interesting about the Democratic Party, yeah. uh, people are starting to write a little bit more uh, about uh, the problems with the Democratic Party in ways that I'm glad they're starting to. There's the kinds of things you've talked about for a long time, and I have. But, for example, Michael Lind, I don't know if you saw his piece in Tablet, but Peggy Noonan was summarizing it in her column today, mm. the Quota Project, the Androgyny Project, the Green Project. Yeah. But Zach is making an even different point, and it, it has to do with uh, becoming a majority-minority. But if current trends prese- uh, persist, likely to become a majority-minority party that is inordinately yeah. and indefinitely governed by a highly educated white minority. You want to say a few words about that? It's interesting. Well, I think it's worth pointing out how that uh, article came across my transom, which was uh, because of uh, my friend who happens to be the mayor of Dallas, Eric Johnson, who Ah. I think is really one of America's very interesting uh, political leaders um, as someone who's friends with him. We've had him speak here. Uh, in fact, he came out to speak here last spring at a panel at a conference that we organized and co-hosted with the Manhattan Institute. And so that was an opportunity for Mayor Johnson to connect with some of those folks. Okay. Um, he is someone who is a registered Democrat mm-hmm. and, uh, again, has been seeing these fault lines and these ideological fault lines uh, for a couple years now, and it just continues to uh, grow in both his awareness and I think more the public consciousness as you're as you're saying that great phrase from Reagan in which he said he didn't leave the Democratic Party, the Democratic yeah. Party left him. Yeah. That is essentially the point of this article and how it is being perceived by those in the the center left mm-hmm. uh, that they're a party that is pushing on sets of principles and policy issues which are utterly at odds with with who they are and the reasons why 
they affiliated with the Democratic Party in the first place. One of the interesting parts about this study uh, that Zach is entertaining, too, has to do with something that's, you know, uh, right near and dear to where you live, which is the issue of uh, affiliates with the Republican Party versus affiliates with the Democratic Party based on education and higher education. Yeah. It's a it's yeah. a bit odd and it's a it, it's it's even odd to talk about um, because I. I don't like, as you probably don't like, the way most of the media will pitch or cast the vernacular around this sort of thing. They talk about it right. as educated versus uneducated. But right. uh, you, you take my, my drift here. Yeah. Yeah, no, and of course the, the question, which I know uh, fellow Salem radio host of yours, Dennis Prager, would, say, would, would ask, educated how? Yeah, right. And in what? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there is so, such a thing as a learned ignoramus, after all. Yeah, and and I think again, this it is worth saying how much of a change this is in the makeup of the two parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much a transition as we've seen in the last fifteen years, we can look at a variety of demographics uh, and you know ways of of understanding the American population and the transitions between the Republican and Democratic parties. Education is just one, but certainly class and household income is another. And you and I have talked about many times before, as I've been seeing this trend line here in California, Mm -hmm. that the split between what I call the wine and cheese Democrats and the beer and pretzel Democrats, which is to say those that are tend to be higher educated, but also have a, a set of policy issues that they care about that tend to be more social in nature, tend to be more, much more focused on the environment, uh, tend to be much more uh, of a higher household income, tend to have what's called a, a set of luxury mm-hmm. beliefs mm-hmm. Uh, on issues like public safety and and yeah luxury let me pick up on that with you i gotta take a break luxury beliefs i haven't heard that expression before that's a good way to put it i've i've used phrases like uh, mercedes marxism and cadillac communists but i think i like yours better luxury beliefs let let me do that with you when we come back from the break pete peterson is the dean of the pepperdine school of public policy we often rail against institutions of higher learning here as they deserve it but there are some that uh, stand out and some that are doing a great job, none better if you want to go into the field of public policy than Pepperdine School of Public Policy, led by this fine man, who will rejoin me in just a moment. It's the closest to ska we get around here. I am. <laughs> Pete Peterson is our guest, uh, a musician uh, in his own right in that uh, genre. He is uh, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Uh, Pete, going into what you were about to go into, I just saw this quote from Joe Biden uh, today. Did you ever? Th- he says, did you ever think we'd be in a situation where blue-collar workers are voting Republican? No, yeah. I got to be honest, man, because they think we forgot them. They think we don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of <laughs> kind yeah. of physician heal thyself, right? That's right. And of course, California is example case study number one on this. Okay. I mean, when we're looking at who is leaving the state, and yep. of course, we've talked about the fact that we've obviously lost 
a congressional seat for the first time uh, in our history and the last census that who it's a is remarkable point. State. It's a remarkable point when people oh, think yeah. of Cal- I mean, It's really a big deal. It's a big point. It is. And, you know, the more that people come out here, we've had several conferences in the last few months, and invariably we'll be flying people out from the East Coast, and some of them have never seen our campus here in Malibu. And the question always is, how could you screw this up? I know. I know. <laughs> you know? I know. I mean, it is just so breathtakingly... Yep beautiful out here. And I don't just mean the coast. I mean, like the Central Valley and Northern California. I mean, just, and nonetheless, people are leaving. I tweeted this out as well about a week ago or so. And I was in Nashville for a few days for some events out there and some other campus visits that we were uh, making for some student recruitment work. And to see the energy in a city like Nashville, which I know is present in a place like Phoenix and Scottsdale and that whole region there, there's not a city in California that has that many cranes building that many buildings. Wow. Wow. And just the perceived energy Wow. when you go into Phoenix, when you go into Dallas, when you go into Nashville, yeah. that is just not present here. It's And it's just – and it's become palpable. Yeah. The difference in, I, I can only call it energy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in these other places. Force versus, of life. Force of life. Yeah. 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 I was thinking uh, in, in the 1970s before it went into its massive modernization, um, a lot of people would say about Israel, a great a great place to visit, but to live there? Yeah, there's probably <laughs> saying it about California now. You know, it's uh, it's a great place to vacation, but to live there. And I, these yeah. are purely yeah. public policy yeah. decisions, right? Exactly. You know, that's what you know. Obviously, makes the work we do so interesting. But there is nothing naturally in uh, appearance, and uh, you know, just ability to get to a bunch of different natural environments here that California doesn't have over so many other places, but nonetheless, because of ideological policy decisions, whether it's in education policy or environmental policy that affects affects business development and economic development, uh, we are driving those people, particularly those what we've called these beer and pretzel Democrats in the lower and lower middle classes that were, frankly, high school educated, maybe their top level of educational attainment, but still could find good work in manufacturing or or other blue collar related work. And they are just leaving the state. And I don't get it in the sense of the leadership there that seems to want to double down on it. I've used this. We've had this discussion before. I was using that great line of Tom Wolfe's in his essay on Radical Chic, where he's at Leonard Bernstein's apartment, two-story apartment or five-story apartment, I guess. Mm. And, uh, and and he's talking about the fundraiser for Black Panthers, and he calls it a nostalgia de la boue, um, a desire to live in, in mud. 
He says we're, all these all these wealthy people are raising funds to live in a society that can't have five story condominiums and two grand pianos. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. But but yeah. you look at the future of the Democratic Party. I mean, people are looking to your governor who has been responsible for so much of this and who is actively picking fights with governors yeah. of places like Florida. It's a very well, and that, odd that thing. That to me is really one of the most fascinating yeah. things in American politics right now. And uh, I I actually believe that I have a hypothesis oh, as to why this is happening. Good, good. Um, I, I do think that California in becoming so blue in its state legislature – um, what is happening from an organizational perspective is that the fringes of the party that we're always told just keeps just stick with us. We're going to get to a place where we're going to make all these dreams come true around single payer health care mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know a, a number of different very progressive policy issues. Mm-hmm. And then they got that political power, that supermajority in the Senate and in the Assembly, with obviously a very progressive governor. And now the checks have come due. Yeah. Yeah. And so you would think that once you get a lot of political power, that the moderate voices would be able to dictate, but actually the opposite right. is true. Right. That once they've accumulated that much political power in the state, it's the fringes, the loudest voices right. are the ones that are dictating yeah, the policies that are going to be pursued. Yeah, it's like the phrase drunk with power. I mean, I, yeah. I have a hypothesis that after so – I mean, at the national level, you may disagree, but my hypothesis is – I'll run it by an expert uh, later in the show. But you know, with the Democratic Party rallying so strongly around someone like Ilan Omar, I think they are going to be stuck with having to actually elevate her now. I think they are going yep. to have to make good on that promise. And I this was such a weird vote on this issue of socialism yesterday. Eighty-six Democrats refused to condemn socialism by vote and another 14 abstained. I mean, this is happening to that yeah. party. It is becoming the extreme party, all the while preaching of its uh, moderacy and labeling the Republicans as the extremists as they go through the ruination of these once great states and cities. It's a very odd place. Well, and of course, we're seeing that even here at the local level in Los Angeles, obviously a very blue city. Not always so. You can go back to the the early 2000s. We actually had a Republican mayor here. But uh, in this last election cycle in 22, we actually elected uh, several uh, stated Democratic socialists to the city council here. Yeah, unapologetic. Again, this is right. And so you're getting... Uh, when things become so blue, and it could be argued in places where they become so red, the fringes again can dictate there as well. But what we're seeing definitely here in California are the extremes of the progressive movement uh, dictating it's what, a, what it's, policies it's resu- are going to be. Pursued. Yeah, well, that's it. And you were saying, you know, you're at a school of public policy that trains minds to, you know, effectuate good public policy. And that's been my thesis for years. It's not unique to me. I'm not unique in coming up with it, but maybe the phraseology that, uh, you know, all of this does stem from uh, an ivory tower lab leak of thought in the university <laughs> that has infected our minds more than uh, what the lab leak out of Wuhan might have infected us with. Maybe we come back on the role of the university because there's some interesting things going on, particularly not only in California, but Florida, too. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that when we come back. 
I'm Seth Liebson. He is Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. For those that see a lot of wrong going on in our schools, Pete's got an institution that's doing everything right. If you're interested in going into a career in public policy, and God, do we need you there, Pepperdine School of Public Policy is for you. Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. These policies come from somewhere. They're taught in our schools, the ones that we have been lamenting. Um, Governors can do things about them. Ronald Reagan showed that when he was governor of California. It was really one of his first acts in 1967 to seek the removal of the president of the UC Regents, Clark Kerr. Pete, uh, you've been following some of the goings-on over at this public university in Florida, uh, the new college, um, which has uh, been taken over by the woke and um, Governor DeSantis there put a uh, put a good group of um, of serious academics and uh, more anti woke people on that board. Chris Rufo, many know Charles Kessler, Mark Bauerlein, yep. some folks like that. Matt Spalding, yeah, Matt Spalding. That's right. So yep. so woke is it? The president of that college wouldn't allow a meeting of that board or a portion right. of that board, so they fired her. Good, I think. Yeah. I, uh, well, uh, your your thoughts on the goings on over there? We've talked about you know the springing up of other places like in Austin, but this is a good yeah. exercise of what a good governor can do, right? Absolutely right. I think some of the most exciting things that are happening right now in higher education are happening, frankly, in red states with public institutions. Yeah. Uh, certainly, this is one example. But if anybody wants to see, even in a state like Florida what the response of an institution is to even the most moderate of Republicans serving in a position of leadership. Just pull up the video of the reception that one former Senator Ben Sass got when he first stepped onto campus as a candidate to be the new president at the University of Florida. I mean, this, the outrage that was precipitated, and frankly, in my view, the manufactured outrage that was precipitated uh, by Senator Sass's visit there, mm-hmm. um, really needs to be seen and understood that that's coming from a place where any voice contrary to the the status quo, which on many college campuses is uh, is highly progressive, uh, is going to be met with this kind of um, response. And, and may I point out, Ben Sass, the kind of Republican, if you will, that Democrats say we should have more of in our party and give a greater voice to, if you know what I mean. Yes. And I'll say I'm a huge Ben Sass yes, fan. Sure. We, we had him speak here on, sure. the, on our own 20th anniversary. Gifted intellect. Gifted. Absolutely right. And so for a person like that to get that kind of treatment, frankly, by students, faculty and staff, um, We're going it, through it here. It, We're going through it here in Tempe at ASU, Pete. Uh, Dennis wow. Prager is supposed to speak here next week at wow. uh, at a forum at the business school where the majority of professors wrote a letter to the dean saying he should not be here uh, because of, uh, you know, the, the litany, racist, sexist, blah, blah, blah. Pete, from, from professors who I, I dare say have probably not done as much to fight bigotry as uh, altogether as Dennis has in his own life. Uh, it's incredible, yeah. incredible. Any little stirring of that 
of that of that hornet's nest they've created for themselves they cannot tolerate. Well, and I think for the reasons that we've discussed, many of them brought uh, to uh, broader public attention over the last few years that particularly state institutions are beginning to take steps in the direction okay. of creating institutions. The, the strategy, similar to what Governor DeSantis is pursuing with this uh, changeover in the Board of Trustees for this new college uh, in Florida, is we've seen it recently in the University of North Carolina, which has just introduced a new center on civic life, yep. which is going okay. to be uh, an institution within a broader UNC that's actually going to focus on not only civil discourse, but viewpoint diversity. The University of Tennessee has just announced that it is going to be opening a, a similar institution dedicated go. to founding principles and, and uh, civic institutions. And I've had it described to me, in fact, this was one of my meetings out in Nashville, by somebody connected with uh, Governor Lee's office, mm -hmm. the governor there in Tennessee, mm -hmm. that they view this as their own UATX, yeah. as their own University of Austin. Yeah, good. And creative governors can look, and legislatures, of course, uh, who are seeing that civil discourse and viewpoint diversity are being squelched yeah. on their own public university campuses. There are now strategies that they're taking to at least create these, if you will, oases. Yeah of both civil discourse and uh, welcoming of diverse viewpoints within their institutions. You have one right there at ASU as well with Paul Carisi yep. and, and what he's built there mm -hmm. uh, with uh, with Skettle. And, uh, and, 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 and it'll last so long as he doesn't bring Dennis Prager in, I guess, huh? <laughs> well, and again, that just shows that even within an institution, yeah, even right. within ASU, yep. Yep. you exactly. know, you— you can have that kind of response. Yeah, you betcha. Let me pick up back again on the other side on the politics that this has led to on the ground. We didn't really get the full, the uh, the the beer and pretzel class. Let me do that with you when we come back. Is that okay? Of course. Pete Peterson is our guest. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. He has a great and active Twitter account as well, at Pete4CA, the number four, at Pete, the number four, CAP. You were talking about, and I meant to return to this, and I think I bigfooted it, but you were talking about the beer and pretzel crowd. Joe Biden had said today that it's an odd perception of the Democratic Party that it is not the party for blue-collar workers anymore. And, of course, he must have slept through the Reagan administration, which did such a good <laughs> job. of. Pay this is not the first time our party has represented um, that, that, shall we say, class, um, especially when you think about what the Democratic Party is becoming more and more affiliated with. Michael Lind broke it down into the Quota Project, the Androgyny Project, and the Green Project. This is just stuff that doesn't resonate with, um, you know, the elite, uh, the non-elites anymore. That's right. I mean, obviously, the there are reasons why we're seeing some of these changes between the two parties. Yeah. Um, and with that comes a change in policy priorities, mm -hmm. right, which is, again, why uh, voters are... <laughs> 
are leaving are using their feet to to head out first from democratic states um, and then from the democratic party mm-hmm. right and so we're we're certainly seeing that when we look at the specifics of who is actually leaving the state of California it's not those with high household incomes right. um, certainly some of that is happening but that's not the the significant percentage of those who are leaving the state it's those first um, with household incomes generally in the the seventy thousand dollar a year and below range but the other part of this and and you and I've talked about this as well Seth one of the most common factors when we looked at and this was actually from the state and their legislative analyst's office, when they looked at who was actually leaving the state over the last 10 years, the most common factor were families. Mm -hmm. Um, When you looked at households in which there was a child under the age of 18, that was the most common age demographic leaving the state. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that's part and parcel of some of these other uh, suite, if you will, of of policies that you see of the, again, what I've described as the wine and cheese Democrats, yeah. that whether it's education issues or public safety or generally the, the quality of life issues, which families in particular have several reasons to be concerned about those things, not to mention economic opportunity. Um, those are the ones who are leaving this state and because of the public policy decisions that are being made from the state down to the local level. What was that phrase you used to describe the wine and cheese class? You had another phrase for it I liked. Uh, Maybe it was was, uh, those that can afford. Anyway, the point was those that can afford to live by these policies because they Oh, the luxury beliefs they come along with. Right, yeah. And again, I use luxury beliefs as a way of of describing uh, policy beliefs for which, if they were to go sideways, you don't necessarily have to pay for. Right, right. right. Uh, it's it's what uh, you mentioned before, Peggy Noonan, she describes the unprotected. Right, right. right. So luxury beliefs are held by those who are protected right. from them, whether right. it's on defund the police, whether it's on school choice, uh, a whole array of those kinds of issues that, frankly, they're protected from. Big uh, houses from holding... they can't afford behind gated communities with security guards, right? Who That's are, right. Who and, of weapons. course, we saw that no. during COVID, right, right? where exactly. you had the laptop class exactly. and, the, and, the, exactly. and those who had to show up for work physically. Right? Exactly. Exactly right. So, you know, over the years, there have been these books and with varying titles like The Rise and Fall of Big Cities or The Rise and Fall of Once Great City. You look at, uh, God, I'm trying to remember, was it Jacoby? Someone named a female writer named Jacoby. I haven't seen her around in a long time. Did did a study on, you know, what happened to cities that were once, you know, really the engine of America and like cities like Detroit. And that they were just ravaged after the 1960s. Um, the arsen- cities that created our arsenal of democracy, really. And, you know, you, you you are in that county, I guess, right? You're in L.A. County, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So you're seeing some of that. Is there is there um, is there a movement of resistance to some of this? Because it does seem almost as at least from where I'm at, it's it's more of a position of of resignation for most of the people that live there um, at this point. It's just resignation more than 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 optimism. Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that's that's so, it's too far right? gone. In other words, it might be too far gone. 
Yeah, and again, you, uh, I, I can't emphasize enough just how remarkable it was within the last month to be in your town there in yeah. Phoenix and yeah. to be in Nashville yeah. and to experience two cities where things are being built, yeah. uh, housing is being built, uh, the airports are moving and hustling and at least fairly modern. You know, to leave LAX... Uh, their terminal four there, and to get off the airport, uh, to get off it in Nashville, and their uh, recently opened, uh, updated, rebuilt airport was yeah. like stepping fifty years into the future. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really was, or fifty not years not into the past of Los with, Angeles. <laughs> that's right, and yeah, that only right. comes from right. from thriving economies and also bureaucracies that are not preventing mm-hmm. infrastructure from being built and all the rest of that. And, of course, the story of our own high-speed rail system. And, oh, my gosh. You know, the high-speed rail to nowhere yeah. and just the fact that the original discussion was this was all going to be finished in probably the next five or seven years. And, and how much less was, money, too, right? Wasn't right. It? Yes, right. Right. Right, right. And it now will so be it, more it, expensive and, and, and not happen. And, of course, this is how the founders envisioned it, right, that we were going to have these – the states were going to be able to act differently with their own sets of policies, and we're going to compete. And certainly cities are doing that as well. And it just looks like we're losing here. And your governor throws temper tantrums about those who are, you know, uh, succeeding and doing well. Right. Yeah, and 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 it and it's it's an interesting callback too to the time when we were looking at mayors, um, successful mayors who were doing things to reengage yep. their cities. Once upon a time, obviously Rudy and uh, Giuliani in New York, but wasn't it Steve Goldsmith who kind of revived Indianapolis? Oh, sure, Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I guess we will now be looking to Dallas and your friend there. What was his name again? Tell us, Eric there. Johnson. There you yeah, go. Yeah, no, Eric definitely keep Eric an eye Johnson. on him. You, you think about Suarez now yep. in Miami. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. You know, there really are some very interesting governors, uh, mayors and governors out there that are, uh, I think, really pushing ahead on these principles and responding in ways that really are having an impact on policy, whether it's education policy or uh, these economic economic development policies as yep. well. And great schools, as you said, education. You you lead uh, yep. the finest. Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Pete Peterson, so great catching up with you, sir. Let me wish you a very, very happy, healthy, and safe weekend, sir. Thanks so much, Seth. Back yep. to you. You, ca- you got it. I'll talk to you soon, I hope. I am Seth Leapson. He is Pete Peterson, and I will be right back. You've heard me uh, talk about why refi for a while now, and uh, they want you to know if you have questions uh, about investing with them, they are happy to put you in touch with any number of their satisfied customers from the Phoenix area who have invested with them and realized great returns for doing so. Their number is 888-YREFI34. Think about your IRA and how it could be earning strong fixed interest rates not dependent on the stock market. You can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds and keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, 
refy.com up to a 10.25% rate of return with the good people at Y-Refi. They are good people. I know them well. Uh, no surprise, uh, really, uh, that, uh, that Joe Biden is lamenting the loss of blue-collar workers, especially as he likes to go around calling himself, saying that people refer to him as Lunch Pail Joe and Blue Collar Joe, which is a funny thing because he's the only one who says people call him that. No one really does call him that. But take a look at this Peggy Noonan column. She has some strong words for the Republican Party, but her um, her take on the Democratic Party based on, on these three categories, uh, the quota project using anti-racism to pursue social reconstruction, the androgyny project, which goes beyond civil rights and ignores gay rights to redefine all males and female human beings as generic androgynous humanoids whose sex is a matter of subjective self-definition, and the Green Project, which uses climate, uses climate change as an excuse to radically restructure the society of the U.S. and other advanced industrial democracies. And, and you really ask, who, does, who is that going to appeal to? It's only going to appeal um, to those who are educated in uh, neo-Marxist thought and uh, those who can uh, afford to live with uh, those higher and higher costs without really a pang of conscience about what it is doing to the rest of the country, which is beginning to resent it more and more and more, which does bring obligations into our movement and our party to not only resist it, but uh, obviously resist it with some intellectual heft and authority. And when you find people that can and do, people like the earlier mentioned Dennis Prager, and you dare ordain to put him on a college campus to give such a lecture on these things, uh, the best uh, that can be mustered by the faculties is to shut him up and shut him down with all the epithets that can be mustered and summoned to do so. It's all right out of the Marxist playbook. Um, and, you know, if the public universities, which are funded by your tax dollars, are going to be engaged in this, then uh, we will have uh, very little resort but to think about pulling out all our funds and our public support of these universities, which here are to support not only the public, but education in its best sense. These professors are supporting education not as teaching, but as indoctrination. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 